0: You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open-minded hoes. Hey guys, welcome back to 50 Plus a Tip. I'm your host, Danica, and I am joined by Riley. And today we're sitting down with Amy Baldwin, a sex and relationship coach, certified sex educator, lead educator for Uber Lube, as well as a co-owner of a mother-daughter-owned online pleasure boutique called Pure Pleasure Shop. Amy has a passion for promoting shame-free, pleasure-focused sexuality education while emphasizing the deep emotional and energetic forces behind great sex and intimate connection, while also offering everything from private sessions to how-to workshops to erotic empowerment retreats. Amy is also the co-host of a podcast called Shameless Sex, inspiring radical self-love and sexual empowerment and shame-free intimacy. The Shameless Sex Podcast is unabashed real talk about sexuality with a playful twist. We had the pleasure of being guests on Amy's Shameless Sex Podcast and enjoyed talking to her so much that we cannot wait to have her on our 50 Plus of Podcast. So you guys are going to love her and here she is. Thank you so much for joining us, Amy. Thank you for having me. So we actually met you originally through your podcast, Shameless Sex. How did you and April first meet, and why did the two of you decide to start the podcast in the first place?
1: April and I met, actually, well, I was already on a path to uh, work in the field of human sexuality. Uh, and we so we met when I was 21, We and I started this path when I was 18. Uh, I took my first human sexuality class, and I was like, um, the professor is praising and preaching the diaphragm to 18-year-olds and is making this topic so dry, yet yeah, I loved every second of it. So first of all, I was like, I could teach this class, although I, that's not true. I still needed a lot of education. Um, but I was so enamored with the conversation. I loved it. I loved every second of it. I loved every page of the textbook I was reading, even though this professor didn't have a lot, have a lot of heart and passion behind it. And I also had a lot of questions about sex and how my body works and orgasms. I was so confused. Um, and so I decided to go down this route and uh, enter April, three years later, working in the restaurant industry. We're both waiting tables on the wharf here in Santa Cruz. And, uh, she got hired on the spot. I had already been working there for a couple of years. I was like, who's this girl? I'm not like a caddy girl where I'm like, who is this girl? I was more like interesting and new human. She's kind of lively. I don't know. I kind of like her energy. And then I fell in love with her in the kitchen there when she was telling a story about going to a party and getting spanked. (laughs) <laughs> and she, and then she was spanking herself she's like I went to a party you santa Cruz people are so weird you are all into spanking she started spanking her ass and I turned bright red and then her for her she was like oh god Amy hates me and she's like did was that too much and I was like no I I think I love you. And <laughs> we became best friends very quickly. And so now I'm 36. I think she's 38. Um, yeah, So it's, it's many years later. And we started Shameless Sex in 2017. We've been super close both out of the sex toy industry and within the sex toy industry. When I opened up an uh, adult store with my mom in 2008, we hired April. That t- I gave her her first vibrator. So she got her start in this field. And then she went on to be a b- badass boss queen in the sex toy realm. She, like, she runs companies. He's a VP of a company currently called Hot Octopus, and, and I work for a lubricant company in the same industry, and so we travel all over, but we always knew we'd do a creative project, like something that wasn't just talking about sex toys. That was something that was educational. We didn't know what it was, and then we went on uh, Sex with Emily's podcast. We were both friends with her, a really big podcast in the sexuality field, as you probably know, and the podcast episode was titled Orgasms. Uh, squirting and the year of anal licking. And it was the top (laughs) downloaded, one of the top, one of the top downloaded episodes of the year, I believe. And people just loved our dynamic, I guess. And they loved how shameless we were in talking about sex and our, our trials and tribulations. Uh, And April and I also were going through some hard stuff. She was going through a divorce. I was going through a heartbreak. And so we decided we're going to start our own podcast. And um, what is it? 2021 now? Never look back. It's been almost four years. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so you just mentioned
2: that you opened a sex toy store with your mom. How yeah. kind of did that came, come to be? Was the conversation around sex always very open when you were growing up?
1: Yeah, a lot of people are like how do you how do you talk about dildos with your mother so closely? So, when I was younger, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California. It's a little more progressive than most areas, but it doesn't mean that people are talking about orgasms and pleasure to their daughters. I wish they were because I had to find out the hard way and have a lot of sex where I didn't have Pleasure and orgasms was just that compliant, good girl, sucking some cocks and things. <laughs> I'm assuming I can say sucking cocks in here. So. Yeah, definitely <laughs> um, fucking <can. laughs> I figured. And, um, and so she did. So one wonderful thing she did do, though, is that she let me know way before I was sexually active that when I wanted to become sexually active, I could come to her and uh, get on birth control. And so I knew that sex wasn't bad or shameful, and I didn't have to hide it. Uh, and so then I ended up being very responsible with, uh, with my sexuality in terms of, uh, condoms and barriers as, as well as birth control methods and things like that. And, uh, but I didn't, again, that pleasure conversation would have been really helpful. So I learned that the hard way. And then, uh, but so that I think kind of paved the way for she and I to have these open conversations about sexuality. And it, it wasn't about pleasure until I started to go and disrupt myself, you know, telling my mom, I want to go to school for psychology and human sexuality and, Um, and talking to her about what I'm learning in my classes. And then one day I went on a field trip to Good Vibrations, which is a sex-positive sex shop in San Francisco. Well, there's many of them now. Uh, And I saw their store, and my mom was looking for a business opportunity at the time. She wanted something that helped women, empowered women. And I called her right after seeing the store. I was like, this is what we should do. Because it was so awesome to see an adult store that wasn't hiding sex or sex toys. wasn't like in the back room, you know? Like sex toys, they were proud. They had education there. Uh, and so that's what we decided we would do. And then we did.
2: That's awesome. I
0: mm-hmm. definitely do not have that relationship with my mother. <laughs> not in the, yeah. No, not even in the slightest. Um, like if she were to even like see a condom in a purse of mine, she would be like, Oh, my God. I should probably even a silent treatment. Um, yeah. So you're, like you said, a sex toy marketing consultant, uh, a sex and relationship coach, as well as a certified sex educator through SFSI, uh, which stands mm-hmm. for the San Francisco Sex Information, um, mm-hmm. with training um, at Barbara Corrales Ormond Tantra mm-hmm. Professionalism Program. That's a mouthful. Um, and so in short, <laughs> you're uh, a sex and relationship coach. What made you decide to choose that career path?
1: My original path before opening up a sex shop was to become a sex therapist. Uh, and so that was my the path. I would have gone to school for many, many years and got a PhD and all, all of that fun. I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in human sexuality and opened up a sex shop while I was completing that in Santa Cruz. And that took a lot of time of, out of my life to open a retail store. Uh, and it was very wonderful and rewarding and informative and educational. And uh, I still had a plan to go back to school, but I actually didn't go back. And I'm glad I didn't because what I learned is that I am much more excited to give people the tools to enhance pleasure and work on some light trauma and shame and the challenges that are in the way because that's a part of it. Um, but I am less, uh, let's see, it's not even driven. I feel like I'll have to have my own therapist for the rest of my life if I take on a lot of people's deep trauma. And I, not, I'm not saying that that's, I mean, that, that work is powerful. I have my own therapist for mine. Um, so it's powerful work. I just um, was more feeling more equipped to do the former. And so what I do is I do a whole bunch of different trainings. Uh, every year I'm taking a new training for the most part. The last couple of years was a holistic psychotherapy method that didn't even have anything to do with sexuality, but now I can bring that to my clients. Um, and then I kind of make my own path for how I work with people, but I really love giving them the tools for more connection, for taking off that, uh, air quotes armor. You know, it's this invisible armor on our bodies that make it so we can't feel, or we can't ask for what we want, or, uh, we have pain or, you know, there's so many things that happen that get in the way of good or great sex with ourselves or others.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: so with regards to relationships um being a being a relationship coach we hear it all the time that the rates are higher now for divorce um and you know people hypothesize and, and have all these theories as to as to
1: why um from your professional
0: opinion why do you think divorces are so common now
1: Hmm. Well, if we're talking the COVID times. In the beginning of the COVID times, I, we, we were seeing a lot of people were, well, actually some divorces were already starting to happen because now they were stuck in the house together and they're like, I want to kill you. <laughs> Not everyone. It did bring some people closer too. Um, some people are, were sticking it out through the COVID times and now the divorces are really picking up because there's more freedom. It depends on where you live. And I don't know when this episode is coming out, but here in Santa Cruz, California, things are Freeing up, and I have not seen the latest statistics on on this month compared to you know, this time last year. But I'd be curious to see what that is. I think more and more people are exercising their rights to pursue uh, the desire to have it all. And when I say that, I don't think you can actually really have it all because I don't. What does that even mean? Uh, but we are so knowledgeable about, um, especially with social media, what we see uh, or the access that we have to see that all oh, the perfect picture of what life can be. You know. The, deeply connected, loving relationship and you're know, traveling the world and the house and the kids and whatever, and everyone chooses what that path is for them. Uh, but I think that folks generally, at least in the Western world are more empowered in romantic relationships than they have been at probably ever in history uh, to a certain degree. And this isn't everyone in everywhere, but we just have a lot more awareness and I don't want to use the word entitlement, but it kind of is a little bit. And I think uh, I really appreciate what Esther Perel says about cheating and affairs and because she's not she does a lot of work around it she's not like you know go ahead and do this and she's also like this happens a lot so why aren't we normalizing it and and she said one of the many reasons yes sometimes it's there's a need that's not getting met in the relationship um and there's so many other reasons but she says entitlements one I, I know that i i want i want all the things and i'm not getting it here so i'm gonna go find it somewhere else and uh, you know divorce often happens when people have tried and tried and tried or been hurt too many times or or they just fell out of love. You know, there's so many reasons why. But um, So yeah, maybe it is a little bit of entitlement and just awareness in general. Mm-hmm. That's why I was actually speaking with my um, a good friend of mine about that um, because he
0: was divorced many years ago. And he has entered into a new relationship. And they've been talking about uh, polyamory because he said, you know, I think it's unrealistic. And I've said this many times to expect one partner to match, you know, check all your boxes. That's a lot to ask of someone. And, um, we were sp- speaking, about why we think divorce rates are so high. And one of the things I said, and it kind of runs along the same idea as what you just said was that, uh, I think women are now kind of feeling like they have a right to want all these things, call it entitlement or, or whatever. So now that's kind of opened more conversations for women to say, you know, I'm not getting what I want here and it's okay yeah. in this day and age for me to leave, which I think is a very good thing. <laughs>
1: Well, and I think we could also look at the phrase entitlement, sorry, mean me cut you off there, um, of entitlement and or selfish as people look at it as a bad thing, and I think too much of these things it can be problematic for anyone, even for yourself, um, but you, to a certain degree, so enti- some entitlement can be empowering, and some selfishness is really important to take care of ourselves. Definitely.
2: Yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, I'm a big fan of Esther Perel as well. Her mm-hmm. books, Mating in Captivity and... Oh, now it's just six games. The, the State
1: of Affairs. The State of because Affairs, the newest one, yes. yeah. They yeah.
2: on my long, long list of uh, sex and relationship books to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she really kind of, I've listened to a lot of podcasts with her, and she's kind of changed my idea about how to talk about infidelity and mm-hmm. whether you
1: should tell your partner or whether that's just kind of a cop-out because you feel bad. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I had a conversation with someone recently. Was it... Oh this was my was with a current partner I was like who was it with um, and we were talking about so he's 41 he's recently separated and going through the divorce process of from a 20 year relationship marriage and um, and how how common that is almost more common these days than the people staying together for 30 40 50 years right in in at least in my generation um, and so we're like what if it was actually we, we flipped it to actually highlight the norm and, and not praise the norm necessarily, but yeah, maybe praise the norm. So instead of like, oh, you're getting divorced too bad, they're like you're still married. How is that? I, that's not normal instead of, cause it, like the divorce thing is, is really common. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not anti-marriage and, but I think it is funny or odd that we still think of these things as so sad or bad or unusual or a failure when it's so common as is you know, cheating and affairs and infidelity. But a lot of that is based out of people not knowing, feeling safe or not knowing how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: So you also have a degree, like you said, in psychology with a minor in human sexuality, which is very much my area of interest as well. And, you know, if we were to save ourselves, you know, I wish I had um, saved ourselves the money of obtaining an actual degree and just kind of um, piggybacked and benefited from all your hard work. Uh, what, would, um, what would be something that you learned through your human sexuality um, studies that has stuck with you?
1: Well, everywhere that I studied was different. So when I, I did the minor in human sexuality at San Francisco State, so San Francisco is a wonderful city to study sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite ideal, actually. And so I we had... Classes that were everything from variations in human sexuality, talking about how human or how sexuality happens in, in uh, animals and birds and mammals and uh, and humans and how there's crossover and, and how that relates to and how you can look at these different species, how um, sexual orientation is different in, in other species, and how we just think it's this human experience that some folks might be queer or gay or lesbian or LGBT. Um, and so I found so much of that really interesting while it's not what I generally use. like I, I would say that what, what I got in an actual, um, establishment, uh, you know, a college and, and I do, they laid the foundation. I think more so my interest in human sexuality, not, it's not really exactly what I bring maybe on the podcast when I like spout off knowledge and things like that and facts about the world and which they change all the time too. I don't even know if it's accurate anymore. Um, most of what I got though, honestly, wasn't from that. It was from that spicy SFSI, San Francisco sex information, um, it, which originally started as a switchboard where you can ask anonymous sex questions. I think you still can. Cool. And now they do sex, uh, certified, certif- the sex certified, they certify sex educators. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it did trainings was twice a year. I don't know what they're doing now. And I got that, that program, for sixty hours, uh, wow! I got so much out of that, especially the ability to um, to listen and communicate with non-judgment uh, to really hold space for people's experiences their interests and to not go into my own process and if i had a judgment to really like feel that within myself uh, so that one was huge i'm glad i went to the four-year college and did that but i'm really grateful that i went on this route and doing all these other trainings that really uh, speak to what i want to learn and what i want to offer
2: perfect so speaking of your sex education you have trained in both, and I'm gonna probably butcher these names: um, somatica and haikomi
1: methods. Yeah, it was almost perfect. Somatica was perfect. It's like Hikomi, but yeah, yes, okay. yeah.
2: Are you able yeah. to elaborate on what those methods are, the difference mm-hmm. between them, and then I guess what you like about them?
1: Yeah, of course. So somatica is a sex and relationship coaching training. They're based out of the Bay Area here in California, uh, and it's kind of a uh, combination uh, well so the people that created it they are sexological body workers that's hands on sexual healing that doesn't really involve a relationship or like an intimate relationship between the practitioner and the client because your hands are on them and you need to keep it very professional um, but with the, the women Celeste and Danielle that created Somatica they saw something that was missing that people needed to do the work within an intimate relationship which was another reason why I'm a huge fan of sex workers and escorts and all all of things because um, that is really valuable. And a lot of people don't have a place to go and practice, learn, or just receive or experience. And, um, so where do they do it? It's, it's yeah. Anyway, so they created this practice that involves this intimate relationship with their PG 13 touch. So you're not touching genitals. You're not touching the point of orgasm. Um, you're not kissing on the lips, but sometimes if you look through a window during a session, it kind of looks like you're bumping and grinding all over each other, depending on what client you're working with. Um, that's not how I work. Now I have, I have worked like that in the the past and uh, I have no, nothing against it other than it was exhausting for me. And that's um, not how I prefer to um, offer, offer up my services. And uh, so, yeah, it's a very much about embodied uh, and uh, creating kind of like an intimate container or relationship with your client so they can heal or learn or experience uh, pieces of their sexuality or sensuality or relationship that um, have been challenging for them. And then Hakomi, it's uh, sounds uh, Japanese, but it's not. It's a, a Hopi Native American word. I forgot what it stands for. It might be like oneness of some sort or wholeness, uh, and it is has nothing to do with sex, and yet it applies to sex because everything does. Uh, I call it a um, bo- it's a body centric psychotherapy method, and we know these days that that's really important. I'm I'm not anti. Talk therapy, but I think for a lot of folks, they still need some body-centered cent- therapy um, because the body keeps score, as the book says. That it holds the trauma, and um, and so what Hakomi is is all about—not necessarily having your hands on clients, but having them in their bodies. You can do it over. Um, you know, a Zoom call, and they are talking about some feelings or something that's really challenging. They feel the sensations in their body, and you guide them into those sensations. And usually, you go through layers and layers and layers. And all of a sudden, they're five and they're crying and they're like, "Oh ah, my, that one time, my dad, you just you didn't love me." And, and then you essentially, you know, if you can, in a really wonderful session that has the spaciousness to go that's to this place, you give them the missing experience that they didn't get when the original hurt happened, um, or and maybe it's not you but they're essentially given to themselves they just don't know that you're just the guide there um, so that's my long-winded way of saying that uh, it's it's just another way to help people it's more body and heart centered and um, can work with sexuality and but that's not what it was originally designed for but I'm glad I have it because a lot of, I'm a heady person so it's good to have body tools and people need it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's really fascinating. Um, we also read We did a little research on you. (laughs) We also read that you do um, erotic empowerment retreats, which sounds really awesome and really liberating. Uh, What goes on at those retreats?
1: Yeah, well, it's been the COVID time, so there's been a lot less of that these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, We actually did a... um, co-taught co-led a a retreat a two-night retreat here in Santa Cruz the day shelter in place happened or the weekend shelter in place happened so we were like the last retreat in Santa Cruz uh and it was a tantra meets dance um contact improv dance like very embodied dance method and um and 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 then the other ones I've done have been a much more um uh, vulva-centric, so it's usually a group. Where I would say women-identified or vulva-owning humans, all in the same room, and we do a lot of work. And they—they're both similar. We start very much on you and. Um, connecting to yourself, getting really clear on your needs and, and, and also your blocks, your wounds, your hurts, your resentments, your desires, uh, and then really honing in on that, getting clear on that, um, unpacking, unfolding, unraveling, releasing uh, a lot of, the, again, the armor, the shame, sort of the big piece, a lot of witnessing happens there through the connection with others. And then we go into connecting with others. That's usually, seems like that's the process with everything with sex, right? It's like, start with you, Go deep inside and work on work with yourself, get to know yourself and what's there, and then we can go outward. Um, and so that's what those retreats usually entail. I don't do them that often, like I said with COVID, but they were something I was doing on the occasion here and there, but I love them. And I love especially being in a room full of other vulva-owning individuals because it can get all witchy and and uh, powerful, and I, I love when the energy happens.
0: Well, okay, speaking of vulvas, (laughs) we see a lot of them in our jobs, um, like a lot. And um, we also, for the most part, unfortunately, hear a lot of male commentary on vulvas. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for us as vulva-owning individuals to not take in that commentary or take in the visual representation we often see vulvas um especially in porn and and such um so sometimes like I said it's hard to not kind of worry about what you got going on for yourself um and you know we often hear you know everyone's beautiful everyone's unique um but how much truth is there behind that how what would you say to a woman who is very unsure about her own vulva and how it for lack of a better term you know adds up or competes with other vulvas Mm -hmm. out there
1: uh, I I still think that every vulva and cock and all the bits and all the in-betweens are um, are, are beautiful, unique in their own way. And uh, the, yes, there are some humans, actually there's a lot of humans that have watched a lot of mainstream porn and they think that a vulva should, should air quotes, look a certain way, be perfectly pink and symmetrical and have zero hair or maybe a little perfect little patch here and like, oh my God, no no shaving bumps? How did that happen? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and realistically, most vulvas don't look that way. Uh, and, and, and some, some do, some do. And, and and so not shaming those vulvas either. Um, and there are though, a lot of folks who don't buy into that or are not attracted to that necessarily, or have, they have seen the variety or diversity of vulvas too. So what I would say, what's most important is you, um, and you not trying to make your body the way it was given to fit in to appease other people, especially knowing that porn is the main reason why that belief is there. So if you encounter someone who's like, Oh yeah, your vulva's is not that pretty. I don't think they're your person. I don't think that there's someone that really deserves to be putting their hands, mouth, cock or any, any, whatever they're rocking on your vulva. If they find your vulva unattractive, um, unless you don't want your vulva touched, then maybe they could be your person still, but that's probably not why you're in a relationship with them. Um, so, and I think we can almost always find something to like or love about some part of it, right? So if we're like, well, you're a labia kind of funky. <laughs> don't say that to your partner, by the way. Um, but okay. I'll use an example of this. I had been with a penis owner owners before where I was like, yeah, I'm not that attracted to that cock. I don't find it that sexy. I really don't crave to have it in my mouth. That's one reason why I didn't stay with that person. I, I wouldn't get in a relationship with that person. I feel like that would be really unfair to them. And that wouldn't feel good to me but i could have found ways to like it like, like kind of there's something about the hardness i like when it gets excited to see me um, i like what it does to my body you know this is things that we can find to love but um yeah if you're someone that thinks all of us looks a certain way or should look a certain way or you like it only one way please go and like start to research the diversity of vulvas and all the different shapes and colors and um, in in between so that you get a better idea because that's probably not what you're, you're not just going to see what you, everything that you see in porn. And if you're someone that has a vulva that has been shamed or you don't know if you like it, I would do some mirror work. I would hang out with a mirror there, like have a little hand mirror and look at your vulva. And if you don't find, you don't love the whole thing, find parts of yourself that you do, we could, parts of it, whether it's the color, the texture, your hair or lack thereof, um, or also it's pleasure. It's, it's feeling, it's sensation. And remind yourself that your vulva fucking badass. The creator of life, everyone. Do you know what that thing does? It's a, it's a magical thing. And not everyone's going to have kids. I'm not, but I still am just blown away by that one. So yeah, praise the pussy. Jeez, <laughs> I
2: um, I used to be so embarrassed to wear leggings or anything like that because I have uh, what I like to refer to as an Um uh, mm. So I always kind of have like a a camel toe and like really tight pants. Um, and I actually found kind of the opposite that in my experience in sex work, I I mean maybe they just have said it behind my back, but I've never had anyone kind of criticize what my uh, vulva looks like so I I mean I've definitely gotten more comfortable with it yeah Yeah. no I definitely I agree with that like
0: I never even really thought about mine before I got into sex work and I remember stripping for someone years ago and they're like oh you have such like a fat pussy and I was like (laughs) I took it so offensively but then I realized people get injections to make their vagina fat pussy so I was like oh it's a good thing
1: like it's a good thing to have like you know paying yeah, good money for that. So you're yeah, you're like, Oh, this is how natural is in and, and just again like if, if your pussy is not for one person, it doesn't mean that's the case for everyone, right? Because we, all, we do have our, our interests and our preferences, but oftentimes we're the ones that are our worst critic. and Or you just have one person that makes a shitty comment and oh, then it yeah. sticks with you, and, and it's really hard to move through that. And so that's why also future partners of the person that's been shamed, it's really helpful for them to praise the pussy or the cock um, through lot, words of affirmation. And there's a lot of ways that you can do that to help move through that shame. Because then people relax, they trust, they, and then they have more orgasms.
2: So we have all heard the day old question, does size matter when it comes to men? <laughs> I wanna know if it matters when it comes to women and clit size. Is there a difference mm. in size and functionality? Do those two kind of change one another in your in your opinion, I guess? Mm-hmm
1: my understanding is there's a number of things that come into play here and one is placement uh not, not that you got to choose where your clit is placed but um uh, so here's an example so uh, april and i uh, we both did the podcast together uh, uh we were both receiving uh, sessions where we were uh clients for a sexological body work session so she went first i went second um with this really incredible instructor teacher practitioner and who then guested on our podcast and she went. She worked with April, and then she worked with me, and then we all talked. And so what she said to April, she's like, wow, April, she kind of has um, – if she was standing and you're facing her, you could actually kind of see her vulva because it's kind of like more front-facing a little bit. So, but everything's all kind of in the same area, like very close to each other, the labia, the clit, everything. For me, mine's tucked under, so you can see my pubic hair. I rock a bush. Um, and you wouldn't be able to see really much labia or anything. And what she said to me – so when she sat April on the table, she's like, wow, everything is like just all in one place. It's like in the front, you you probably get off to dry humping and you're kind of DTF, right? You're down to fuck. And she's like, yeah. But then when the practitioner saw my clit and my, my vulva, she was like, wow, your clit's like its own little world. It's like way up here. Your labia is down here. It's everything's all kind of like under you. And, and, and I was like, yeah. And she's like, are you, are you orgasm? easily? like, nope, I'm definitely more complicated in that department. And so I, I don't know Yes, I think clit size. Like, if you have a larger clit, that means you have more erectile tissue and more nerve endings because the clitoris has a ton of nerve endings. That will probably help you get off. Um, and if you also have a clitoris that's really close to your vaginal opening in your la- in labia, and you're probably going to uh, get off through penetration easier than someone who that's not the case. Although they could still use their fingers and, and their clit and things like that too. So, um, so it's different for everyone. But and also. So, stick into account that so much of this has to do with our brains and our experiences and how we've been programmed, the traumas we've had, right? So, yes, nerve endings and anatomy and size and things like that—they do come, they do, do play a part. And I think equally as power, equal, what was equally as powerful is um, the experiences we've had and how our body has maybe numbed out, learned or unlearned, or turned off um, or been eroticized from our early masturbation practices. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Back to people hating their labias. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, a big thing I've noticed more, mostly in the last, say four years or so, and especially with women in our industry, is a rise in labiaplasty, um, particularly with outer labias or labia majoras. Um, and I've heard, and I've, I've I've spoken to a few gynecologists about it as well because I wanted to pick their brain about it. And I've heard there are some risks with uh, postmenopausal situations and. To quote one of the gynecologists I spoke to, she said because during menopause, um, your inner labia can sometimes uh, become smaller in size. So if they've already trimmed some of your inner labia, um, they're not quite sure how that will affect you in menopause. Um, But I also know a lot of women who have had it and they swear by it. They say, you know, it's the best thing they ever did. Um, So what are your thoughts on the procedure of labiaplasty?
1: I... I have, like, a neutral stance on, like, everyone gets to make their own choice, <laughs> like, like with their body, their choice, whatever they want to do. Um, I will put it in a similar category as male circumcision, cutting off foreskin from penises from people who are young or even when they do it when they're older. But then they're older. They're making their choice. So, and then labiaplasty and, and other genital um, surgeries, to make it look a certain way. Um, but also there's a feeling too, there's a change sensation and help them out in a way. Um, it's up to you, you get to decide it and decide what's right for you. And I just, I'm always so curious as to like, why is it that we're so, so it's so ingrained, so embedded in us that we're not okay as we are, that we need to change this. And if it's for a business move, you know, it's your part of your career move, you're going to get more jobs, Um, If it's for health reasons or pleasure reasons, I feel more sensation. I just, this helps me, this is, or it's problematic. Um, And, or if you like really just hate your fucking body and you need to get the surgery so that you can be okay with it. Um, But to fit into the cookie cutter idea of what's normal um, just for that reason is well, there is no normal. And I think that that's just really, um, yeah, just, I, I, I don't think that it's accurate to, I, don't, I, I mean, accurate is not the right word, but anyways, I would put, yeah, put in the same category there. So I don't judge people at all. I'm just more like, well, what, what was your choice? Which, which, and are you happy that you did it? Are you happy a year later, five years later, 10 years later? And, um, if you're not, well then, you know, that happens. Same with tattoos. What can you do? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> so something you
2: said before was praise the pussy Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what pussy praising is and <laughs> yes. how we do it?
1: I have my trusty vulva puppy here that your listeners cannot see, but it's a giant pussy I in, in right. my hand right now. <laughs> I love his vulva puppet. I've had a this for years Um, so so, uh, I use this with clients and it's literally a puppet that someone I think they're handmade in Peru Uh, anyways I use it because it doesn't have like it's not just a nasty piece of flesh that um, also isn't showing people that pussies should only look one way right it's a huge unrealistic puppet with pink labia inside and um, a rosebud for a urethral opening which is where both urine and female ejaculate comes out and a huge clitoris Mm -hmm. but it doesn't even show you the legs of the clitoris um, so you all can't see it, so I'll stop talking about my puppet now. It's going to irritate you. <laughs> uh, praising the pussy, though, and, and the cock, and all the bits. The asshole, too. Praise an asshole. A lot of people think their assholes are really ugly or smell bad or all the things. So um, what I say is anything that you can authentically find uh, to adore, love, praise about someone's genitals, please so feel free to share that with them. If they have a problem with that, then well, that's on them. And you two can talk about that, but most people have not received that. And it's really helpful in healing for them. And it can be everything from the performance of the bits to the look of the bits, to the smell of the bits, the taste of the bits. So some ways I uh, like to praise a pussy or a cock, um, I'll speak to pussies right now would be, here's one. If someone were to, to go down on me and say, like, start at my pussy and then look at me and make eye contact with me and say, oh, my God, I just love licking your pussy. I could do this all day. Oh, my God. I instantly relax, first of all. So then because I'm, I'm not in my head like, oh, my God, am I taking too long? Or Do they like this? They are just told so me they love this. And now I can relax because I know that they're not, like, looking at their watch. Now, I'm not going to hold them. To, to doing all day, and if I did, that's unrealistic. But what I what I hear them saying is like, I really like doing this. Um, I also love hearing your pussy is so beautiful. And if they think it's perfect, they can say that too. It's perfect, it's gorgeous, it's sexy, oh my god, you have the best pussy. Again, only if you authentically feel this way, so don't bullshit them, but like I said earlier, you can probably find something that you like or love. Um, I love the taste of your pussy. I want your juices all over my face, all over my body. I can't get enough of your juices. I love the smell of your pussy. I'm obsessed with your pussy. I, you know, what? Are, so, it's endless. And I, so, and you can do the same thing with cocks. Um, also, performance though is another thing, and I think that um, you know taste will have something to do with that. But the feel of your pussy. I love the way your pussy feels on my on my mouth. I love the texture of your pussy. I love the way I can feel your pussy wrapped around my cock or my fingers or um, just just it, again. There, because people have shame about so many different aspects of their bits and the same thing you can do again with assholes and penises. So many penises have shame. Um, I've met some cocks that the cock owners did not want my face near their cock. Like they didn't really want a blowjob because they, for some reason had shame and they had a perfectly fine cock. So they, and they didn't want to tell me what their shame was. So I wasn't going to dig it out of them. Um, so yeah, just, and the more the merrier. Like I honestly, the, my partner goes out, my partner named my pussy Gwendolyn and sometimes he just uh-huh. talks to her and he whispers to her and he's like, hi Gwendolyn, so good to see you. And then I'll be like, what are you saying? He's like, shh, I'm trying to talk to Gwendolyn, we're trying to connect over here, Gwendolyn. Oh God, that's cute. And, uh-huh. and then he like pets her and just massages her and she's, yeah, has a great time. Well, actually, <laughs>
0: speaking of having a partner, um, something we spoke with you on your podcast about was how much our job can impact relationships and you know obviously there are differences in what we do for work but there are similarities your job is very sexually charged um does your job or has your job impacted relationships in your personal life or your or your romantics life
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say in the past, I've had a number of partners that in the beginning, it sounded really exciting to date a woman who works in this field, sells sex toys, teaches classes on sex, talks about sex to strangers, uh, talks about sex to strangers, uh, and... Um, and is on this path that constant. Now works with clients and helping them with their sexual stuff. Um, even though I'm not touching genitals at this point, uh, touching other people's genitals or you know kissing them, um, still that was scary to people. So the beginning, oh, it's so exciting, and then eventually they almost most of them had some sort of issue of it being bringing up their own masculinity, uh, and those relationships didn't work out. Uh, my current partner right now, we've been together for a year and a half, and he was actually a podcast fan. He's a fanboy. Uh, and he actually listened to my podcast to try to help his marriage that wasn't working out. And, uh, well, the marriage still didn't work out cause he was like, maybe it's me. Maybe I just need to learn more skills, more communication skills, more sexual skills, but the marriage still didn't work out. And then I met him in a yoga studio here and he recognized my voice. Um, and we started in like a month or two later, but that was great because he had already listened to almost every episode. So he already knew what I liked, how I spoke. Like I am the same person on air as I am off, off the, off the mic. And so he, I he was like, well, he already knows I'm pretty weird. I have daddy issues. I like to play with some dominance in submission. I like anal. Uh, he definitely, uh, he licked my ass in the first day. That was pretty cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's fun for everyone. Not that
1: I let everyone do that, but, uh, and I think he praised my ass. He's like, You're the most beautiful asshole. So, um, we are seeing now I not, so he has kids, he has three kids. Um, and there's these times as I'm being more integrated in his world, there has not been requests for me to tone it down at all. Uh, but I used to be talk shamelessly about him and our sex life on my podcast. I and mean, I never used his name. I've never said a partner's name before on the podcast. Um, I am personally choosing to be more cautious about that. It's not that I'm not doing it. Uh, and so that's just something new, but there's no one like, getting angry and he's the most supportive person I've been with. But yes, sex educators, we, I mean, in all fields of sexuality, I'm sure we all experienced it to some degree.
2: Um, my partner now drove from one side of Canada to the other um, to, I guess, come back to Vancouver. And I asked him if he wanted to listen to 50 plus a tip. And I think he got through two episodes and he was like, I can't, I can't like, it, it feels like I'm reading Your journal, and I just want
1: to learn Uh, about these things from you. Like it's too intimate or something, like he was spying on you, even though you told him he could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting. I've had that happen with one person before too, and the same thing made them really uncomfortable. We were only casually dating too, and they opted out of it. They're like, Yeah, I think I'm good. It's like, Okay, okay, that's cool. Then well, yeah. everyone gets to choose for themselves.
2: Exactly. And he's been on the podcast now, so I feel like he's made a real, real turnaround. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Leaps and bounds. Good job. <laughs> um, so
0: happy for you that he, you know, ate your ass on the first date. That's great. Um, but anal is very much a thing that um, people ask us a lot about. Um And people don't really know, it seems, how to broach that topic with a partner, how to start exploring that, uh, that avenue or that sphincter, um, that Mm -hmm. orifice, Um, that laneway, (laughs) that entry zone. Um, Mm -hmm. So what would be kind of like some starter tips for someone who's kind of wanting to explore that?
1: Yeah, totally. It's one of my favorite conversations. I think that... uh, the topic of anal people have so little knowledge and so many questions and there's a huge desire to try it. But a lot of people have had negative experiences because they watch porn. They try to do it the same way, but they shove it in and bam, bam, bam. They don't show you all the lube and all the prep and all the relaxing the muscles and all those things. um, So if you're interested in anal and you want to have a conversation with a partner about it, um, I, I like the conversation of, you know, I saw a thing or I heard a thing. Uh, so I, maybe I saw this video or porn or my friend was talking about, or I listened to a podcast or they're talking about anal and I kind of felt a little desire to like, I'm kind of curious, what do you think about it? Um, so you could plant a seed in that way. And you could go into a sex shop with your partner and look in the anal section and be like, Oh, butt plugs things. What is that something that you'd be into? Um, or you could be bold and just buy one and bring one home and see what they say, but I don't know, maybe having a conversation. You can also do the, as long as it's consensual sex, like it's okay for your hands to be on your partner's genitals, you have your hand slowly going into close, well-lubed hand, very slowly. Don't put it in any holes or anything close to the asshole and then check in. The is this okay. Do you like having this part of your body touched? Um, and before diving all the way in. So those are just some ways to, to see. Um, and, to know that someone's a hard no, then you have to honor that hard no because that's just what happens. So don't do any coercion. Oh, come on. I, I swear you'll like it. The last girl I fucked liked it. So No one likes hearing that about anything ever.
2: So, no, we don't. In my opinion. <laughs>
1: um, but what I would will say is if someone has had a... Negative past experience, but has some openness to learning more about how to do in a way that feels pleasurable. That is very possible. If uh, the negative past experience was just from consensual sex, from non-consensual sex, or also sometimes doctors—they do things with gloves and fingers in your ass—and um, they are not there to make you feel good when they do that. That's not their job. That'd be an ethical problem. Um, so. I would learn together. I would say like, I'd like to try this, but let's learn together. Let's listen to some podcasts that talk about sexuality. Uh, Let's read some books, take a sex ed class or something. There's online sex ed classes all over the place. We have plenty of episodes on anal. I'm sure you do too. Um, and then learn the different tips and I'll just give you a couple. Now I think that are really helpful. Um, you know, you're working with an unconscious muscle that needs to be worked with and relaxed and you don't override it. So nothing numbing. I'm not a fan of numbing things. You need to feel if there's pain, uh, because your body's brilliant, it tells you pain means stop or go slower or add more loop. Discomfort is normal because this muscle is opening up; it's relaxing, so you will feel some discomfort generally uh, as it starts to relax and open up. And it, that discomfort might feel like, "Am I pooping?" or "There's a lot of pressure." But there's know the difference between pain and discomfort. Pain is more burning, kind of sharp sensation, and discomfort is like, "Oh, this is intense; it feels like a lot of pressure." Uh, but the discomfort goes away after the muscle relaxes. Uh, I always use lube, lots and lots of lube. The ass does not lubricate itself. I've had some people say, well, does kind of does. Like, mm, no, I, <laughs> no, never enough. Never, ever enough, does it? Um, so always use lube, even if it's just a finger on the ass, uh, add, add lubricant. I'm a big fan of silicone lube. I love uber lubes, one of my, my favorites. And silicone's long lasting, um, so it's great for anal. And then um, never use a sex toy or any, an object that doesn't have a base, like a flange or flared base meaning it's like a stopper that can stop in the asshole because unlike the vagina the ass keeps going to your colon and to your intestines and it can suck things up and in that's why if you when you see butt plugs they all have a base on them and then start small to relax the muscles and then you can move to something larger so start with well lubed fingers go really really slow uh, as you're starting the ass will invite you in it might take you know two to three minutes for your full finger to get into the ass if you really take your time but you'll feel if you're just lightly pressing but you're not pushing and your finger is nice and lubed, it will eventually likely make its way in and then from there you can kind of move it around then maybe go for a second finger then maybe go for a sex toy that's what butt butt plugs are great to help relax the muscles even more add more lube then more lube then more lube and then um the last thing i'll share for this mini anal 101 demo is um for the person being penetrated, so the one that's being in, having either fingers or a cock or a dildo inserted into their ass, I'd say um, unless you're really experienced, anal, um I think that person is the one who should be in control of the penetration. So um, it would mean either maybe if you're in, so say you're, you're you want a homegrown cock in your ass, you've relaxed your ass with a, either butt plug or fingers or both. Now it's time to move to the home to the homegrown cock or dildo. Have the person that you're is penetrating you actually lay down on their back, mm-hmm. and so their cock is facing forward. So it's almost like a missionary position, and you're kind um, of on your knees and facing them, and your knees and your, and your calves, shins um, is what I meant to say, and you're facing them, and then you kind of squat and make your way onto the cock or dildo and go really slow, slow as you need. Take deep breaths um, and just really go slow, make your way, make your way. If your partner is starting to lose their heart on, you can play with their cock, you can play with their nipples, you can make out, they can play with their own balls. Well, and if they have a dildo, there's all other things you can do. Um, and then once you get on the cock or dildo, move slow. Don't do the whole in-out thing because every time you move out, when unless your ass muscles are fully relaxed, then you can do thrusting in and out. Um, but uh, at first, stay, keep it, keep at least the tip inside, and then kind of more grinding or some thrusting, but not fully out. And then you'll feel your ass open up. You can feel it. You're like, woo, there it is. And then you're like, okay, now we can do all the positions, and now we can go doggy style. Now we can do a lot of thrusting, and then the anal world is your oyster.
0: Okay, so almost like a, a cowgirl position would mm-hmm. be a
1: good yeah, idea.
2: Totally. To yeah, idea. Uh-huh.
1: yeah, yeah. And that's like, I mean, it's like for me, that used to be my go to, but now I'm just like, my ass is like opens up pretty quickly because I (laughs) had a fair amount of anal my day. And, um, so I don't say that it has to apply to everyone, but especially if you're new, it can just be really helpful because the person penetrating you, they don't really know. They can't feel what you feel in terms of it's too much. Are they moving too fast? You could, they could penetrate you, but I would still say if you're new to it, have your hands kind of around their cock and and invite them in so they don't just shove it in, um, in a way that's uncomfortable for you. Mm, All right. Anal one-on-one completed.
0: Uh, thank you for that. So you seem very well read. Um, are there any books you would recommend for our listeners to check out?
1: Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, I'll say I have a couple of my favorites. Um, a lot of them have been podcast guests on Shameless Sex. I love, love, love the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski. Um, she was on our podcast. Uh, just look up Emily Nagowski on shameless, at shamelesssex.com. You'll find her. Um, it is a revolutionary book that talks about how we're living in a penis-centric model for sexuality, meaning what the penis likes, the vulvas like. Um, and that's just also porn-centric, and it's also just not very accurate. So it's all about the vulva, vulva pleasure, uh, a lot of the history around it, a lot of the conditioning, a lot about like technique and actually real accounts of how this this whole thing works. Um, yeah, I think it's revolutionary. So if you're feeling like, hmm... My my cock partner, they're, 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 their cock's getting a lot more pleasure than my vulva. What's going on? Or I feel left out. I don't understand this thing. Um, I recommend checking that out. I also love the book The Women's Anatomy of Arousal by Sherry Winston. Um, that's a great book, too, if you want to learn more about um, vulva owners or your own vulva. Uh, let's see. Some other favorites that I have here. If you want to learn about Tantra, Urban Tantra is phenomenal. That's the training I did with Barbara Corellis. I like it because she also incorporates BDSM. A lot of people mm-hmm. think Tantra is like... Sting, having sex for ten hours, and no, you can whip someone to be tantric. Like you can, you can spank them. It can be a tantric spanking. So, um it's and it's is great because you can create all kinds of witchy sex magic and all kinds of wild things. Uh, let's see, what are some other things? Uh, if you feel like monogamy is confusing for you, this is not a guide, but this is a way where you'll be like, oh, I'm normal. Read the book Sex at Dawn. Um, it's it's from an anthropological perspective and. Uh, Dr. Chris Ryan and his ex-wife wrote it, um, and it will just teach you kind of more like the evolutionary stance on why we might still desire to look at, have sex with, or just have a crush on our neighbor or the person across the street, and even though we've been married and we're happy and we love our partner, or maybe we don't. Um, and then the the of uh, the another kind of more empowered woman version of that for the ladies is called. Um, Untrue by Wednesday Martins Untrue. Why nearly everything we everything we believe about women, less than infidelity, is wrong, and how the new science can set us free. Also revolutionary for um, women who feel like they've been told they they're. It's all about men having a high sex drive. That it's not normal for them to. It's that men want diversity, variety, more. They they need to have sex with all these women, but women just want to be with one man, and get married, and they're like, that's not me. Um, and it, it's not just. And I mean, we're still speaking about monogamy and monogamy in there, but yeah, I mean, the list goes on, but we have a resource page at shameless sex. You can check out. There's so many more things on that too.
0: Awesome. Our next little quick section is listener questions that came in. We had a bunch, but we were able to narrow it down to about, uh, I think we stole four that we thought were, were really good. So we grabbed those ones. The first one is what was the process uh, for getting your educator license?
1: Ooh. So I don't have a license. I'm a certified sex educator with a little, little, I have little like diplomas everywhere. That most of them are in storage. I said my hakomi went out here now. Um, so I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a licensed sex educator. You can become uh, licensed as a therapist, and I don't know. Let's see. There's not really licensing as a sex educator, but there is like a credential that's very. Um, a program is very well backed by uh, and it's a sect uh that it, they really i mean to actually become a i don't know i guess you would call it certified you have to go through a lot That's um. that's not what i did i'm a little bit of a rule breaker and um i don't like when there's a board that's making rules for what i do although i abide by consent everyone um so uh i wrote a blog about this on, Sh- on shameless sex's website as well if you go to the blog and you can look it up and it's about how i got my start into this industry Uh, because I make all my own rules, but no, there is not really a big licensing program that sex educator to be a certified sex educator doing air quotes again, because there's no one uh, regulating this. It was a 60 hour training. And now you can say you're a certified sex educator. I am not a certified sex and relationship coach. I'm a sex and relationship coach who did not pay $350 (laughs) extra to add certified to it. And actually I take that back. You still have to take a test. You don't just pay that money. I I just want to pay the money and then take the test and then maybe fail and then go pay the money again. And I find that the people that I work with, uh, they're... they're, I mean, they want my credentials, want to know that I'm still learning and, and that I continue to learn. They really are basing on my energy and how I show up for them. There is much more about that than like, in some people care about credentials. They want to work with someone with a PhD. So they're not going to work with me and that's fine. But I really think that if you figure out your niche, your passion, and you pursue that, then you don't have to be in school for 10 plus years. You don't have to spend a million dollars, but continue to learn for sure. don't think that you know everything.
0: Definitely. Next question. How can I get the spark back with my partner?
1: Ooh. Well, it depends where the spark went or why. So I have a lot of questions for that listener, but, um, the first thing that comes up is like, are y'all talking about it? Are you talking about, is it the elephant in the room that you don't address? Which is what happens. A lot of people like, Oh, let's not talk about sex. And now the spark is gone because then that would be a heavy conversation. So I would talk about the challenging thing is like things have changed. I'm not feeling my libido or I'm noticing you're not, uh, super, you're not initiating sex or we're not having a lot of sex or, uh, it seems like we're kind of bored of each other and, and just, you could start it by, hey, I've been thinking about something that feels really scary to talk about. You can really, I like outing that first and then just starting to talk about it and try to talk as loving as possible. Try to own your own pieces as much as possible and not, t- don't tell them what they, their experiences. Nobody likes to hear that. You can say, you know, when you said X, I felt Y, but you can't say you said X and you made me feel Y and that's your fault um, because that's not necessarily true or their experience. Uh, so that's one piece of the conversations. And I think what happens for a lot of folks when the spark's gone is that they have layers of um, either hurt, resentment, or disconnection that needs to be rebuilt before you can do the fun stuff. So, it's, to get the spark pack, the spark pack doesn't just mean, like, let's go to the sex club or let's go learn about orgasms and try new orgasm techniques. Um, it might be that, but for most people, they need to go and work on and sort through and unpack a lot of the other stuff, whether it's together or with a therapist or coach or someone. Uh, and then once you do that, then it opens up the, the doors to go learn the fun, juicy how to's and how to get more fire there. Um, and the last thing I would say is for a lot of folks, when the spark is gone, it's um, kind of it'll get kind of stuck off for one or both people that like maybe they had kids and one was you know, they, their body just made a baby. And so they're not feeling their desire anymore. Someone's grieving. There's so many reasons why a libido or desire can change and shift. And um, to know that nothing's permanent and that your largest sex organ is your brain. And what's really helpful is just stay open to, um, to continuing to learn and do the work. And if you feel like you can't on your own, go, go get help. There's people all over and you can work people online now.
2: Mm-hmm maybe this isn't your area of expertise but a personal question is i am on antidepressants and Mm -hmm. i have noticed a obviously my uh my libido reducing um i think as a lot of people who start antidepressants have found is there something that can combat
1: that i guess so, yeah, I'm, I'm careful. to. Talk, I can comment on this and I would just start, I am not a doctor, so talk to your doctor. <laughs> and my understanding is that there are certain, like SSRIs, um, so anti, um, antidepressants and anti-anxiety and, and et cetera, they can affect libido. It's just they block things. And I, I don't have the perfect science and I'm not going to pretend like I do. Uh, but I worked with a number of clients that are on, on SSRIs where it's changed their desire, libido, or just their sensation. Um, a lot, sometimes people can get close to orgasm and they can't orgasm. Um, and, or it's rare or hard to do. And what my understanding is, uh, I've talked to many therapists and medical professionals about this is that there are certain, uh, SSRIs or other medications that might work for you that uh, make it so you can feel more and might, or, and you would not do this on your own. You would work mm-hmm. with your medical professional on, about this. You would have to say this has changed. I really want this back or, or, you know, this is something that's really important to me. So what can we do? Is it, do you change your dosage again, only with their guidance, please? Um, or do you try something different there? So that is something I, and I, I, yeah, not a medical professional. I heard someone say on a recent podcast that well, butrin, um, Actually, people can generally have more sensation and and libido than they have with some some other medications. But, again, talk to your doctor about it. Um, So, yeah, because unfortunately that's one of those things. Yes, your brain is the largest sex organ, but if there's literally something in your body that's blocking things from um, going in that direction, then what can you do other than uh, working with, with that thing that you're putting in your body?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of similar to what Riley just said, our next listener question. I used to have such a high sex drive, but now I have literally zero interest in anything sexual. I know stress can be a source of that, but what else could be the cause? And how can I, in quotes, fix this? I'm single at the moment, but I'm worried about it impacting my ability to date in the future.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's similar to what I said before that sometimes when the thing gets turned off or put on the back burner for a while, that can um, become the new reality because... Um, for a lot of people, our libido is kind of like a, just a neural pathway in our brain. It's the current, rapidly firing story of how we say we feel and we are and we uh, we operate in this world. And so, one is like, "I have a high sex drive." That's your experience. Um, but if you lived the last you know months, six months, year, five years with like, "I don't really have a high sex drive," that is your current active story that um, that your brain knows, and that affects your whole body. So. You now, while you might not be able to just choose a new story, I have a high libido. Because like that's not really true. Um, I would start to develop some practices to really reconnect with your body, and they might feel really exhausting. You might feel like a lot of work, uh, and they might not feel sexy. You might not have orgasms. You might not even want to do it or feel your libido. But um, what would be like? conscious or um, intentional masturbation. That includes your whole body. You don't just go into like rubbing one out in your genitals. And it isn't just rubbing one out or just using a vibrator for 20 seconds and having an orgasm because that doesn't really connect to you in it. I mean, it can, but it's like, it's limited. So it'd be like, you know, maybe a couple of days a week, setting a 20 minute window for um, really romancing and touching and in, in, in a essential way, your own body and reconnecting what feels good, what doesn't, where you have numbness, pain, where you feel pleasure, um, and just pampering you to see what you can turn back on. And, um, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that if someone had zero libido and they weren't on SSRIs and they were feeling disconnected, to their body, they don't have like severe physical sexual trauma that had happened. Um, Or actually, even if they had that trauma, this would probably still help. If you did this for 20 minutes a day, three to four days a week, and you stuck to it, you will see changes. I think that applies to most humans, but it's just that commitment piece that's the hardest one. I mean. Oh, and the last thing I'll say is don't have compliant sex, too, by the way. mm Because a lot of the people that are having, um, uh, they're not enjoying sex or they're not feeling their own desires because they had a lot of compliant sex where it didn't feel good. And that makes, of course, your body's going to turn off because it's smart. It's like, nah, we're not going to be here. So don't, do not, if you're seeing that as something you used to do, don't continue to do that in future relationships.
0: Definitely. Um, I was going to say, I don't necessarily know, like, this listener's uh, situation, but I have an extremely high sex drive when I'm in a relationship, but when I'm single, I have, like, zero interest in, in any kind of uh, sexual anything. <laughs> um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think it is it does play a huge role in, like, that mindset of, like, how much your brain is such a, like, a sexual organ that when I really care mm-hmm. about someone, I will rip their clothes off every second of the day. If I'm no one that I really care about, then it's really, like, that part of me is, like, It's, um, what's it called? Hibernating. 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 So, I mean, that also... taking a nap. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know this person, but that could also be something for them is once they start to really care about someone, maybe that that sexuality will come back. Um, That's how it personally is for me. Um, And the last question here. I want to start incorporating toys into my sex life, both solo and with my partner. How do I begin that? Especially if my partner isn't very wild in the bedroom. Any specific solo toys or partner toys you'd recommend?
1: Uh, so I'm going to just make a guess that this person has a vulva and their partner has a, a penis, but I'm just my guess. So I might speak in that language, but I'll also try to keep it as neutral as possible. Um, I would say if your partner is not, they're pretty new to sex toys and they're not like, "Woo, well, it's super exciting. And it's, they might be intimidated by it. That's your fear. Um, one is talk about it you know like how do you feel about these things and and what if i brought one home what if we use one together Uh, maybe go to the sex shop together and look around what would you be into what do you think is like too much Where where you're not comfortable with what are you curious about or you can make yes no's and maybe lists in sex shops like you all make these lists together when you look at toys and then you put them your list together and you try the ones that your yeses and maybes too um and then starting with smaller toys that aren't big and scary i think um a lot of penis owners get really insecure about the big baany dildo or her vibrator. <laughs> what well, if it replaces me? Oh no. Um, I just want to tell all you penis owners that the dildo doesn't know how to make out or kiss or massage or hug or snuggle or or pussy praise or, or talk. and and if you're not, and if you're not doing those things, then you should start doing them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> then you're going to get people,
1: replaced. <laughs> yeah, then you yeah, then it might replace you cuz you're not doing a lot of those things. So, um, <laughs> if you're a dildo but, you're going to get
2: replaced by a dildo. Like. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're Yeah, because they're just a dildo now. So Um, and so, I think just because, and I would look at sex toys. They're a bonus. They're here to enhance uh, pleasure and connection. And why do why do we not want our partner to have more pleasure? And why were we? Why do we think our cock or hands or mouth should be the end all for their pleasure and be able to? And a lot of people don't think that way, but some people still do. Um, And I'm not saying this person's partner is that way. Some people are just. they're newer to the idea of toys, and it can be scary. So starting with smaller like bullet vibrators, like the clitoral bullet vibes, just some that are more flat that kind of uh, curve around the cubic bone. Um, or you can do whatever you want and just buy it on your own, play with it on your own, and show it to your partner and see if they're into it. And if they're not, then you just use it on, on your own, too. But there's a lot of toys that don't even look like sex toys. They don't look like penises or cocks. Uh, and yeah, and they're designed to be used on, I mean, the clitoris is a powerhouse. This is where most vulva owners are having their orgasms and pe- plenty of people are having internal orgasms too. Um, so anything that vibrates, you can put on or around the clit and, and it might feel good. Everyone's different in terms of nerve endings and the type of vibrations that they like. Um, but yeah, starting small with something that doesn't scream big, scary sex toy and just ga- check with your partner, see where they're at and see what they might be into and what's too much for them. And if it's too much, all of this too much, then Talk to them about it. Get curious why and, you know, what might support them in that endeavor because it sounds like this is important to you to explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Um,
0: So before we let you go, um, we always ask our guests three questions. And the first one is, what is one thing on your sexual bucket list that you haven't done yet but you want to try?
1: Let's see. Um, I have not had a – three plus some with multiple cocks and that's been on my bucket list for quite some time um, and I don't know if I'm going to really love it because it might be like kind of complicated Like wow well, that's a lot of dicks but um, <laughs> <laughs> one's already a lot but um, that's still on my list I'm like I'm, I'm, I describe myself as somewhat painfully straight like I'm just so into cock and men and I have played with, with numbers of women but not numbers a number of god I made myself sound so fancy but <laughs> um, and it's just not my jam it's kind of like hooking up with a guy that i'm not that attracted to uh and so and it's not that i won't ever play with women again it's just not really where i'm at and um so yeah so that's one thing that in my partners has an openness to that exploration so hey here we go we'll see yeah (laughs) so you might be checking it again yeah yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, i think so (laughs) so the second question what is one thing you've tried sexually that you probably wouldn't do again
1: um i dated someone who was wonderful 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 human and uh and uh, and probably one of the more kinky humans i've been with and i, I identify as a kinky person uh but if i you know if, if super kinky was a 10 and like super non-kinky was a one i'm probably like a five to six um in there and and he's like a 10 plus and um, which is totally fine because I got to try all these awesome things, it's very respectful, never pressuring. Um, and he had specified that he has, uh, I think, for golden showers, specifically getting heat on or urinated on. And and it doesn't really, I mean, it's not really, um, it doesn't gross me out. It, I'm just not attracted to you. I don't get turned on by it. Um, and, and I, but I also like, I'll try, I'll try most things once. And it's like, okay, well, maybe in the shower sometime. And he's like, okay, cool. And so uh, we didn't really plan it this way, but I got in the shower, I was like, I kind of have to pee. I was like, well, I kind of have to. Pee. You right now do you want to come in the shower and he's like sure and so he gets there he lays down and he, i'm like okay so how do you want me to do this he's like do you, i want it all over my face I'm like okay cool So I'm like, standing over him but then he like opens his mouth and gargles it and he's while making eye contact with me which is <laughs> i love how shameless he is and i love that he owns his kinks and for me and i was again i wasn't disgusted and i i wasn't even after like i'm not gonna kiss him or any of that it was i was fine but i definitely was like I'm not turned on by this experience. I'm not aroused. I'm, I'm feeling, I feel neutral and, and, and also just a little bit like I'm not more turned on now like from this experience. So I probably won't do that again. Although, you know, with a loving partner, I don't know if that's their jam and they wanted on the occasion, then I might be down to do that. I probably wouldn't make eye contact with them though. Yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe that was the line. Yeah, also you could get paid a
0: lot for that, so. Oh, shit. I did it for free. (laughs) Rookie mistake. Yeah, we'll teach you. (laughs) And then the last question here, if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say?
1: Oh, my goodness. I would say slow down and I'm also speaking to myself. But yeah, so say so slow down in just about anything and everything that you're doing. Uh look inside uh and ask the deeper question of and, and, and try to look at the world from a um, not a uh, I think and therefore it's true and instead I think huh why do I think you know why do I think that way and where does this come from um, so it's, I think that through that we can have a lot more compassion and understanding for other people in the world and their experiences and get out of our own way and in turn have better connection that's probably more than thirty seconds but um, yeah and I think slowness is a part of that because through slowness comes awareness and the ability to ask us deeper questions within ourselves and um, yeah, really, really get outside of our programming because we are, we are walking computers as long as much as we don't want to pretend that we're not. We are weird little sponges and computers and we can be reprogrammed. We just have to choose to go that route mm-hmm. and praise the pussy Praise <laughs> that pussy and the cock and the <laughs> and asshole. <all laughs> our um, that's awesome. Thank
0: you so much for coming on today, Amy, where can people find you?
1: so you can find our podcast shameless sex on all the apps it's everywhere iTunes Google Play Spotify all the things iHeartRadio we also have a website shamelesssex.com and so you can find all of our information there we're on Instagram shamelesssexpodcast those are probably the three best ways to find us um, and you'll get to hear April she's like me on eight cups of coffee so if you think I speak fast well (laughs) you gotta hear April talk she would have been here she really wanted to she's like oh my god I I love people that work I love dancers and sex workers Ah, but she's so Land in the business world so she sends her love um but yeah come come find us say hello and then and your episode all by the way with the two of you i don't know when this is going on your podcast but it's being released next week because that's mid june of 2021 so you can go and listen to these wonderful humans on our shameless sex podcast as well
0: Awesome. Yeah, so we are, I think we're starting the new season in July. So this will be a mid-July. So you guys will have had weeks to listen to us. And if you haven't, what are you doing? And go listen (laughs) to our episode with Shameless Sex. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at 50plusatip or email me at 50plusatip at gmail.com. Slide into the DMs, email with questions, comments. We love getting them. Again, thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. It was an absolute pleasure and very, very educational.
1: Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, that's me. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and happy Halloween.
0: Bye. Bye. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening, and make sure to check out our amazing sponsors, as well as rate, review, and subscribe on all those different platforms that you can hear us on. We appreciate it so much. 50 Plus a Tip is brought to you by Bright Future. Bright Future is a Canadian-owned company that makes all-natural, premium-quality microdosing products. Their products are designed to stimulate focus, creativity, energy, and boost your mood while decreasing stress and inflammation in the body. Check them out on Instagram at get.brightfuture and on their website getbrightfuture.ca. Use the code TIP15 at checkout to get your discount. That's T-I-P-1-5 to get your discount. Truly Lifestyle Brand is an all-natural, cruelty-free skin and hair care company that will have you looking and feeling your absolute best. Use their code TRULYPLUSATIP for 10% off your online order. Temptations Avenue Lingerie is a Canadian-owned lingerie brand with a variety of styles, ranging from sexy and wild to demure and sweet. Check them out on Instagram at Temptations Avenue and use code TIP25 to get 25% off your entire order. That's T-I-P-2-5. Loveify is a Canadian brand that is focused on self-love and pleasure. They're all about empowering women and encouraging them to express their sexuality openly in a judgment-free environment. Click the link in Fifty Plus a Tip Instagram and use code Fifty Plus a Tip to get 10% off your order. That's five zero plus a tip to get 10% off.